Well, this is going to date me a little bit, uh, but how many of you remember the movie called The Close Encounters of the Third Kind? And you remember that? Steven Spielberg, 1977. And uh, I remember as a teenager seeing that movie and uh, the whole thing of UFOs and all that. And I thought of that when we were talking about this series that we're going to be in called Encountering Christ. Encountering Christ. We're actually, for 40 weeks in 2012, we're going to actually spend time looking at close encounters that Jesus has with people in John's 21 chapters. And uh, I don't know, do you know what an encounter is? I, I, I kind of needed to study a little bit on what an encounter is. An encounter is a meeting or an experience that you have with someone that's unplanned, unexpected, sometimes brief. It can be friendly, amiable, romantic, or it can be even hostile, adversarial, even violent. But it's a meeting. And it's this encounter. And a lot of times it takes you off guard. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And if you're following along in the notes, what I want to just mention right here at the top of this series called Encountering Christ is that John's Gospel contains many encounters with Jesus. John's Gospel, I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way before, contains many encounters that people had with Jesus. Now, um, if you would, I'd love to ask you to pull out your the bifold that hopefully was on the seat uh, when you came in today. It looks like this. And uh, this is something that the team prepared in the hope that maybe this would just give you some background and some other resources if you're looking to dig in deeper. We know people are all over the spiritual map in our church family at different places of growth, different places of learning and interest. But again, this has some ideas about that. I'll mention a few of these things today in a little more detail, but really what we want you to see is on the back of this bifold, you'll notice that it tells us where we're going in this series. Today, the last Sunday of January, we're talking about the introduction and we're going to look at grace and truth. But then starting next Sunday, Steve's going to actually help us unpack this encounter that Jesus had with John the Baptist. And you can, the reason we listed these different verses is so that if you want to, you can actually read the passage before you get to church on Sunday and you can actually give yourself to maybe some reflection and what the Lord might want to say to you about that because we know that, again, we're trying to move from shallow to mature Christianity and not just make this a Sunday-only relationship with God. Not only do I want to point out the bifold to you, but also I want to point out the banners. If you look up here, you'll notice that these banners are a little different than we've ever had before. And what's going to be happening in the weeks ahead is that each week as this series unfolds, we're going to see more about the story of John thanks to some artists in our church. And so you'll want to pay attention to what happens on those banners as the series unfolds. But these are things that we're going to be doing together, not only in Sunday mornings, but many of you in life groups. And hopefully, if you're not in a life group, at least try and do it with some other person. But we have online resources with questions and other ways that you can dig in deeper. By the way, this bifold also is handy in case you want to put all your different message notes inside. You could carry them around together. So here's some things I want you to notice about this uh, gospel. First, uh, I want you to see that John, who is one of the disciples, it says this in the bifold, John was one of the 12 disciples, and he was one of the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples with Peter, James, and John, the three that Jesus was closest to. And so he was an eyewitness. And again, in John's gospel, if you're following along, he writes as the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He writes as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is an interesting hallmark of John's gospel. He never names himself. Now, some of you might say when we're reading chapter one this morning, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, John, right there in the opening verses. Who's that? That's not John, the author. That's John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who prepared the way. But when he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved or this disciple, the other disciple. He just never says his name. In fact, if you want to, out to the right, I didn't have enough space. But if you want to add to John 13 and John 21, this reference, John 19:26, that's an awesome verse where it says that Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, looked down and saw his mother and then the disciple whom he loved standing there with his mother. And this exchange took place where he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And then it says in verse 27, And from that day on, this disciple took Jesus' mother into his home. Now, he never names himself. Isn't that humble? Now, some people will go, Well, it doesn't sound humble when he goes, The disciple whom Jesus loved. And some people get the impression that maybe when John used this phrase, he was going, Nah, 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 I'm the favorite. That's not what his spirit was at all. His spirit was amazement. His spirit was amazed that if you want to know anything about me that's changed my whole life, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved when he didn't need to do that. It changed my whole life. So this is the author. And then John also tells why, if you're following along, why he wrote this letter. He kind of shows his cards, so to speak. He tells why he wrote in John chapter 20, verse 31, And the reason, he says, is so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That Jesus is the Christ. In fact, look up here, if you would, this verse. Earlier, by the way, in the 915 service, one of the men that was baptized chose this verse uh, for his testimony before we even shared it in the service, saying this meant a lot to him. And so I appreciate this verse even more, knowing it's touched somebody in our church. But these are written, by the way, he just says in verse 30, that there's a lot more things that Jesus did when he was here on earth. There was a lot more encounters than I've listed here. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what, friends? Life in his name. John, picture John. This was written about 50 years after Jesus was on earth. The other Gospels had already been written. Now John writes his under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as he's writing, he's picturing people that never got a chance to be with Jesus physically. He's picturing people like you and me who as we would read this gospel, as we would hear this gospel, that we might come to believe. That doesn't just mean intellectual agreement. That means to entrust your life to Him. That we might come to trust our lives to Jesus Christ and in doing that find life in His name. That's why I wrote this, this letter. And we're going to be studying it uh, every month this year, except July and August, where we're going to study the Psalms. But we're going to do that together. And I just need to tell you, I am filled with expectancy about this. In the last couple of services, people have been excited about doing this. There's something about studying Jesus' words. Our church family has found and, and studying about Jesus that just has this power to it, this authority. And so that's what we're going to be doing. And I, I'll just tell you this too, that one of the reasons I'm also excited is because years ago, when my dad was a young pastor, 
he described me one time. He said, you know, in the early days of being a pastor, he said, I had it all wrong. He said, every week, the beginning of the week, I would try and figure out what I was supposed to preach on that Sunday. And he said, I'd try and come up with a good idea, and then I'd try and back it up with Scripture. He said, it was tense. He said, finally, one day it dawned on me, what if I was to preach through the gospel, in his case, of Mark, and just each week say to people, Let's try and meet Jesus. Let's try and see Jesus in these words. And uh, he said, as we did that, he said, people all of a sudden would come to me and say, this week, because of what we looked at with Jesus this past week, I've been thinking about this all week, and I need to make this change in my life, or I need to take this step that I've been afraid to take. And he said, he realized that by opening the gospel, God often honors it so that people can actually encounter Christ. And I'm praying, and I know some of you are too, that that'll happen in this series. So I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you're still getting used to your Bible and you may not know where John is, there's no need to be embarrassed about that. Just know it's in the last fourth of the Bible. So last fourth of your Bible, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at the very first 18 verses of chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, we always say this, but we'd love for you to take out a Bible that's there in the seat rack. It's red. And if you pull that out, it's on page 750. And you can follow along with us, but we would love it if you were a first-hander and put your own finger on the text and followed along today so that you can engage. And um, let me say one more thing before we read this. I had a friend in high school who used to mock me. Uh, some of you say, what? Well, good friend. But we worked together, and uh, he just he could not understand uh, my interest in Jesus Christ. And it was hard to explain how I had met Christ. So one day I said to him, um, hey, read this in the New Testament. Maybe this will help you. And after I showed that to him, we were at school, at high school, in chemistry class and before it started. And he said, could you get me one of these? I was shocked because he'd mocked me so much and I went to the Christian bookstore that day. I ran, practically. I was so excited. And I bought one for him, and he started reading through the Gospels. And somewhere through reading through the Gospels, he met Jesus. And he gave his life to Christ, and his life is not the same today because he encountered Christ. So here's my thought. Wherever you are on the spiritual map, if you know him well or you don't know him at all, you may even be skeptical. You may be hardened towards Jesus. Would you be willing, as we make our way through John, that when you're reading it, say, Jesus, would you make yourself known to me? Would you reveal yourself to me? Would it be possible for me to encounter you firsthand? Not my brother, my sister, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, but me. Would you make that possible? That would be a great prayer. So is everybody there at John 1? Mark your place. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we pray with a sense of anticipation of what you might do as we open these words. And, Lord, I pray... I pray that we would see Jesus. I know that people are not here to hear me or be entertained. How they hunger to know you better, Lord. I pray you'd honor that. I'm hungry to know you better too. Meet us here this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, John chapter 1. Here's what I want to do. We're going to read all 18 verses. My wife asked me this week, how are you going to preach in all these verses? And I said, I'm actually excited because I'm just going to focus primarily on verse 14. But I need to make sure I talk about some of the things in the other verses. But we're going to mainly focus on verse 14 that's there in the second gray box. 
But what we're going to do now is read through all 18 verses. I'm going to ask you to read verse 1. It's listed in that first gray box. Be ready to read verse 14 when we get to that, and I'll read the rest. Deal? Okay, let's read verse 1 together out loud. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That can also mean has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is what I was mentioning earlier. This is John the Baptist now. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might what, friends? Believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now read verse 14 with me out loud if you would. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now again, back to John the Baptist. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And next week, Steve will talk more in this next part of the chapter about John the Baptist and his encounter with Jesus. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace... We have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. I love the story of the mother that was ironing one day. She had a little youngster on the floor with uh, crayons and paper He was drawing different pictures, and she said, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, that's interesting. She says, you know, no one's ever seen God. No one knows exactly what God looks like. He says, well, they will after I'm done. (laughs) And sometimes we think about this awesome mystery of how do we do do it? And, And John, most scholars are absolutely blown away by these 18 verses. It's often called the prologue, which means preface or introduction, because in 18 verses, He says so many unbelievably complex things in such simple language that he's gripped people. A lot of times the things that are talked about here, scholars have studied for years and still stand in awe. These are mysteries, and yet they are things that even a child can embrace. And so first what I want you to see is that we're going to talk about the Word. You notice in verse 1 and in verse 14, it's mentioned four times total. So the Word, the Word, the Word. In the Greek language, the word is logos, ha-logos, the word. And uh, again, this idea, logos, was actually floating around already in the culture when John wrote this. This isn't just Bible language. This isn't just churchy language. People were walking around and saying, what is the word that governs the whole world? And the Greeks by that meant, what is the ruling principle? 
What is reason with capital R that governs the world? They talked about it. Lagos, the word. But Jewish people also said uh, that the word had kind of a personality to it. In Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the word of God, the heavens were created. Notice, the word created the heavens. And you'll notice at creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And also, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, and let us make man in our image. Let us, our image. That idea of plural. So notice this if you're following along. The word, now John takes Lagos and he absolutely says, you guys talk about him as if he's impersonal or if it's some kind of activity. I want you to know the word is a person. He is God. And notice this. First, the word was with God and was God in the beginning if you're following along. That's what he says in verse 1 and verse 2. He was with God. That word actually can mean toward God. It's the idea of an intimate relationship. So in verse 17, we're going to learn who the word is. It's Jesus Christ. But he's saying, is in the beginning, you need to know that Jesus, his preexistence, he didn't just happen at Bethlehem. He wasn't born in a manger. That's not where he started. He existed with God and was God from the beginning. This is an awesome thing. And I don't know if you know this, but there are whole belief systems that disagree with this. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe Jesus is God. They actually have changed their translation of the Bible and corrupted it by saying, and the Word was a God. In order to say, Jesus was a great teacher, all that kind of stuff, but He's not God. And friends, the Bible says that is absolute heresy. But cults do that all the time. Cults will twist or change. They'll mess around with the deity of Christ. They'll mess around with the authority of the Bible or they'll mess around with the way of salvation. And when that kind of stuff starts happening, we just need to be aware of that. When a couple of them come to your door, you're going to find out pretty quickly that they do not believe Jesus is God. And some people go, well, that's that's a big deal. As long as they're sincere. Friends, what you believe about Jesus really does matter. If he's not God, he can't take care of our problem. If he's not God, he can't handle the things that we need him to handle in our lives. Okay? So the second thing is, notice this, the word made everything whose life was the light of all people. He made everything. You notice that in verses 3 and 4? This is awesome. It says that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. If you look up here on the screen real quick, you'll see that Hebrews 1 talks about how God spoke through the word. Okay? In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In other words, God's been trying to communicate with us for a long time. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by what, friends? His son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he what? Made the universe. Was Jesus involved at creation? Absolutely. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is saying that Jesus was preexistent before human history began. He was already around. He was with God. He is God. And it's also saying is that the deity of Christ is unmistakable. Look at 1 John 1, 1 through 4. John talks about this in another letter of his. We proclaim to you the one who existed from when, friends? From the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is what? The word of life. This one 
who his life itself and revealed to us and was revealed to us, we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we have ourselves actually seen and heard. This is eyewitness testimony, friends, that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Saying this is awesome news. That He is preexistent. That He is deity. That He is eternal. You are talking about someone that came to our planet who is incredible. The Word. And then notice one more thing. Because this is probably the thing that shocked most of John's original readers most of all. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. You study a Greek New Testament, what you'll discover is is that it actually takes the word logos and right next to it, it puts this word for flesh, which is sarx in Greek. So it basically says, the Word, flesh, became. And most readers would have gone, what? Flesh? God is too holy. God is too great. God is so important. Why would He have anything to do with flesh that's so vulnerable, fragile, so unimportant by comparison? The Bible says, now this is what's incredible about the Word. He wasn't just God, but He is God who became flesh. I love when we sang about that earlier. It's the glory. It's the glorious message that we have is that God became flesh. Sarks. It's got a rawness to it. It doesn't polish everything off. It says God came into our sorry world and became flesh. And man, that is a powerful, powerful thing. And if you're following along, in order to live with us as 100% God and 100% human. As 100% God and 100% human. Some people would say, what about Greek mythology? Greek mythology, the gods played with human beings. They never actually became a human being and signed up for all that it meant to be flesh and human. But Jesus did, without losing any of His divinity, without losing any of His godness, He became fully human. Is that circuit-blowing or what? That means this, friends, that He is able to understand. The old song that says, no one understands like Jesus is true. Because He's worn your flesh and mine. He knows what it's like to get tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be slapped in the face. He knows what it's like to walk places. He became flesh. Not only does He understand, He is able to show us what it looks like when a human being follows God here on earth. He became our example. And even more than that, the Bible says is that because He became flesh, He is able to die in our place on our behalf and shed His innocent blood and pay for the penalty of your sin and mine to make us right with God. Hallelujah. The Word became flesh. It's awesome. This mystery, fully God, fully human. Amazing. The last thing I want you to see about the Word before we come to this part about grace and truth is that when He came, some received Him, some did not. When Jesus came, when the Word came, He came flesh and came to earth. Some received Him and some did not. Have you noticed that Jesus divides the crowd? Have you noticed that some people are absolutely repelled and put off by Jesus? 
Now, sometimes that's because the only way they've experienced them is because of us Christians that haven't done a very good job. But many times it's also because there is something about Jesus that bugs them. John 3.19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. I mean, there are times when you and I don't want Jesus shining His light into our life. We don't want Him coming in and becoming the Lord and taking over our lives. We'd rather stay in charge. But the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, the Bible says. And some received Him and some did not. And my prayer is that whether it's this day or someday very soon, if you have not received Jesus Christ as the Word who became flesh to come and live in your life, I hope you will. Because the stakes are sky high, the Bible tells us. So, that's the first part I want us to see about the Word. Now, all that's talked about the Word up top there, now it says, and you need to know, the Word became flesh. And I want you to read verse 14 with me again. And then we're going to unpack this phrase, full of grace and truth. Would you read it with me? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now when it says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, that phrase right there is an interesting turn of a phrase. John literally says He tabernacled among us or He pitched His tent among us. Awesome idea. And I don't know if you know, but in the Old Testament... When God drew near in His Shekinah glory to the Israelites and would travel with them for those 40 years in the wilderness, He had them build a tabernacle, a tent. And the Bible says is that the glory of the Lord filled that tent. Now, I don't know what you picture when you picture glory. But the Bible says is that the Israelites, when they saw the glory of the Lord, hit the deck. And it looked, the glory of the Lord looked to them like a consuming fire. Have you ever seen a blazing fire that is so bright it nearly blinds you? That it is so white hot that you realize that it exposes any darkness that's anywhere close. This is what was going on. And the Bible says that's what happened in the Old Testament. Now what you need to know in the New Testament, God still wants to draw near to us. But guess what? He's not just sending a message. He's not sending two stone tablets. He sent His best. He sent His Son. And in His Son... The glory of the Lord, the light of His presence, being God in human flesh, is shining through. We have seen His glory. John was an eyewitness who actually saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain before Him where they all three hit the deck and couldn't even talk because for a moment they got a chance to see His uneclipsed glory. But also John would say that he saw the glory of the one and only when he would bend down and hold children. They saw the glory of the one and only when He laid His back on a cross. They saw the glory when He would care about the weak and the ones that no one else was paying attention to, but Jesus did. They saw the glory. Some of you like the camp. If you've ever gone camping, you know what it's like to see a tent in the middle of a dark night with a Coleman lantern shining inside. And you can see the light coming through that tent. The Bible says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only. Here's the phrase that I hope you take home with you today. Who came from the Father. You ready? Full of grace and truth.
Could you say that phrase with me a couple times? Full of grace and truth. One more time. Full of grace and truth. When people encountered Jesus, what did they find themselves encountering? They found themselves encountering God in human flesh who was full of grace and truth. Now, I don't know what you expect when you think about encountering God in human flesh, but most of us would be absolutely intimidated. Most of us would go, there's like no way I even deserve to get in a city mile near this guy. But the Bible says he came. He camped out. He pitched his tent. He took the initiative. He made the first move. He came to our planet, our tiny little microscopic planet, in the light of the whole galaxies of the world. And he pitched his tent here, and he came full of grace and truth. If you're following along, what I want you to see is that he tabernacled with us in 100% grace and 100% truth. In 100% grace and 100% truth. And this is a mystery. Because honestly, what most of us want is a Jesus who either has 100% grace or 100% truth. But most of us don't know what to do with a Jesus who's both. And Jesus mystified people while he was here on earth. The people that were the truth-only crowd couldn't handle his grace. And the people that were the grace-only crowd couldn't handle his truth. But Jesus was full of both. Now, what do these words mean? In the notes, if you're following along, what I hope you'll see, it's hard to describe grace, but once you've experienced it, you know it. Grace means completely undeserved favor. It means a gift. It means a gift to someone or people that do not deserve it at all. In fact, they deserve the opposite. But grace is being shown like that. If you've ever experienced grace, you know that it means kindness, acceptance, initiating self-giving love towards you. It means a sense of welcome. It means a sense of including you, inviting you in. And Jesus was full of this spirit. People were shocked at how welcoming he was to people. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, the riffraff of society could not get enough of Jesus Christ. They found themselves saying, he's different than any religious leader we've ever met. There is a grace about him that draws me. I don't know how to say it, but he sees something in me. It gives me hope rather than despair. What is going on? And there are people over the years that have tried to explain what it's like to meet a Jesus who is full of grace. And they write hymns like, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but by grace now I see. Never get over grace. But it says he was full of grace and truth. And the idea here is that truth, what does that mean? Nowadays, we live in a culture that says truth is relative. What that means is, is that, well, you have your truth, I have my truth. Nobody really knows what's really true. No one can say their truth trumps my truth. And we've got all these ideas of truth is relative. But the truth is, about truth, is it's absolute. It's absolute. And if you're following along, the way we know truth is absolute, it's based on God's words, God's way, and God's person. It means that by His very nature, He is truth. It means that 
there is a standard in this world that is unchangeable, unmovable, doesn't, doesn't matter how many centuries go by, truth is always truth. And the Bible says is that Jesus landed on our planet, and when he showed up, he was full of truth. That means there was no falsehood in him, no deceit, no, no shyster kind of stuff. He was completely, and I don't know if you've ever been with someone who is really true. They make me nervous because it makes me realize it's kind of like someone bringing a light when you're trying to hide. Light is like truth. It exposes, it reveals, it shows reality. And truth is reality with a capital R. Truth is the standard, the plumb line, and God is full of truth. And that means that one of the reasons we study the Bible every week is because we want to make sure that we're regularly seeing whether or not our lives line up with the truth or we're getting into the crazy business nowadays that people get into where we deceive ourselves and we say, well, here's what I think's true. And we bend the truth. We manipulate the truth. But friends, the Bible says you and I can resent the truth or we can actually love the truth. We can walk in the truth. Earlier during the reading, when Mike was reading up here, he read something from Luke 18. It comes from a conversation where Jesus is standing on trial before Pilate, who would eventually turn him over to the the people to crucify him. Look at this conversation that Pilate has. He says, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to Jesus and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Now, this is what's happening in our culture nowadays. What is truth? And we no longer have respect for that, but Jesus came and he was absolutely center line. He was absolutely crystal clear. So picture this. He holds up both. And that meant that he he shot straight with people. He told them the absolute truth. He never diminished it. He never, you know, took the edge off it. But at the same time, he brought this spirit of acceptance. I guess the best way I can say it is, it's one thing to know what the truth is. You know what grace does? Grace helps you live it. And Jesus held up both the truth and said, and I'm here to help you live by the truth. There's a church in Colossians, when we study Colossians, it says, You have come to understand grace in all of its truth. I love that. So it's not one or the other. It's both. Now, why do I tell you all this? We as a church family regularly have to make a decision every Sunday when we gather and every day when we get up. Are our lives going to be full of grace and truth or are we going to overemphasize one and live that way? Are we going to let Jesus really have his way with our lives or not? When I was younger... My dad said to me that one of the things that he had learned as he studied different churches is that he watched how some churches were very, very welcoming. Some churches were very, very tolerant. And uh, so whenever you walked in, it didn't matter what your background was, didn't matter how much you'd messed up in life. You you walked in and you just felt like these people were very welcoming. These people like they don't care what my background is. They don't, you know, grace, beautiful thing. He says, but they have high grace. But they diminish the truth. In other words, when it comes to a decision of which one to hold up, uh, grace always wins. Grace always trumps truth. 
And therefore, if somebody's done something that's not in accordance with the truth, or they say, you know, I don't really, I don't really believe that, then we just go, well, that's okay. Whatever you want to believe. Okay? High grace, no truth. Well, you know, the opposite, of course, he said is true. Maybe you've been in churches like this too. They absolutely say proudly, we are about the truth. We're going to preach the Word of God every Sunday. We don't care what anybody thinks. We don't care if anybody feels welcome. And they have absolutely low grace. If you've ever been in a church family like this, here's what you realize. You better walk on eggshells. You're going to mess up a lot, and we're going to make sure you know it. We're going to point it out and all that kind of stuff. And I'm exaggerating a little bit in some cases, but not that much. Because every church can make these two mistakes including ours. We're not careful. And so my dad said, so help me God. I believe that what Jesus wants us to be about is to be a church that holds up high grace and high truth at the same time. We love grace. We love truth. And we want to try and figure out a way to say to a world, there is hope in Jesus Christ no matter how much you have failed or messed up or hurt people. He can change your life. But also, you're not living according to the truth. And that's killing you and your relationship with God. So we want to challenge you every week to live according to the truth and not just some sloppy tolerance, not some sloppy thing where you're messing around with the truth, but hold up both high in your life. So, here's a question if you're following along in the notes. As you think about bringing this home, Lord, what do I tend to overemphasize? Because all of us do. One of the things I've learned about myself is I tend to emphasize one and diminish the other in my life. I have to always watch that. Because if Jesus is going to be fully at work in my life, He wants to bring both grace and truth and all its power in my life. Which one is it for you? Which one do you tend to emphasize? Grace or truth? Maybe it's not wise to do this, but I'll just tell you something that some of you already know. I tend to overemphasize grace. I have experienced the amazing grace and I will never be the same because Jesus accepted me. He knows me best and still loves me most. I've never been able to get over that. But you know, cheap grace is grace that believes that you can do anything you want. It's a license for immorality. You can just... It doesn't matter. God doesn't care about truth anymore. And that's not good grace. So what he's shown me is, I need to fill my life with the truth of his word. One of the girls that was baptized earlier today, Faith, said that her favorite verse was Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. This will be true. Some of you may fall into this belief that, well, this was written so long ago. It just isn't. Are you sure it's true anymore? Oh, man, friends, this is, this is more current than today's newspaper. This thing can read the back of your shirt. It can see right through you and me. And when I read the Bible, the Bible reads me. And it is the truth. And God wants us to know that the truth isn't just a book or words. It's a person. And how I relate to Jesus Christ matters. So... Which one is it for you? And then, as you can imagine, in my notes, the last line is, Living Word of God, please fill me with more of your truth. That's what I need. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you want to talk about that in your life groups. Talk about this over lunch. 
But I hope you'll think this week about being full of grace and truth. And can I just tell you a closing story of how Jesus practiced this in an encounter we're going to study in more detail later. In John 8, a woman is brought to him that has been caught in the act of adultery by a bunch of religious leaders. And they come to him and say, in the law, Moses says that this woman should be stoned because she committed adultery, which is a very serious offense against you, against marriage, against what you ordain. Interesting thing, by the way, I've always wondered, where was the guy? But they bring this woman. It's a setup. They're trying to test Jesus. They want to see, how are you going to do this grace and truth balance? So the Bible says he got down, knelt down, and was writing in the ground, the dirt. Then he stood up and said, here's how we're going to do it then. Whoever is without sin, you get to throw the first rock, form a line. The woman standing there humiliated, shamed, aware that she has really seriously messed up with God. And he goes back to writing in the dirt. And he hears rocks dropping and feet walking away. And after a while, he stands up again and says these words in John chapter 8, verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Look at these words. Then neither do I condemn you. Grace. Jesus declared. Now watch truth. Go and leave your life of sin. How have most of us learned it? Go and sin. In other words, make a break. It doesn't mean you'll never mess up again. Make a break with this pattern in your life. It's not according to the truth. Walk according to the truth. Grace. Truth. What kind of church are we going to be? What kind of Jesus are we going to preach? I pray that we will teach the Jesus who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to ask the prayer team if you'd start moving down to the front. And I just want to tell you again, I hope that for this series, you'll make sure you're a first-hander and want to encounter Jesus. But if you have been listening today and you know that God's been leading you to put your trust in Jesus, to receive Him, to believe in Him, begin to entrust your life to Him. We'd love to pray with you about that and talk to you about ways to keep growing. And if He's led you to become part of this church or you have another spiritual question, after the service is over, please feel like you can always stop down front and pray with one of the people up front. But let's, let's pray. Now, Lord, please Reveal Yourself to us in all of Your grace and truth. How and not only do we need to know You this way, but Lord, we have friends, we have loved ones who don't believe in You. We pray that they'll meet You too. In Your name we pray. Amen. God bless you.